0: Welcome back to Bacon Wire, an MSU sports podcast here on the Big Banter Podcasting Network. And we have not a lot to talk about coming out of the bye week, a couple of things, Um, but we're going to start with this. We're going to throw it all the way back to the beginning. Uh, The prodigal son has returned home once again. The chief of propaganda is in the house. Brett, how are you, brother?
1: SD, I, I'm thriving. It feels so good to be back home. Um, it's almost like the Kanye homecoming song. It, fe- it feels good, and yeah, just excited to be here. Talk MSU. So uh,
0: we brought you on to discuss a pressing issue that I think is at the heart of a lot of MSU fans' concerns. Um, something that um, that is going to need to be solved in order for this country to kind of this community to kind of move forward. And that is the vacant speakership in the US House of Representatives. <laughs> uh, no, of course, we brought you on because you know I we want to talk about SD4L, right? And and you know, you you um I guess my first question is you know, you've kind of been the, the front of of sd4l at at least on at least on twitter um so what like what is your official relationship to sd4l that that you know kind of that kind of allows you to give some of the insight that you've been able to give
1: here in in these
0: past couple weeks
1: yeah so really i mean i've gotten this question a few times and i I do want to clarify something i tweeted out a few weeks ago that i am going to be moving into some executive role with an NIL company that is not SD4L. Um, my relation with SD4L is the fact that um, have, I, I mean, I've, I, I know some of the people not on a personal level that, that run the, the brand and I'm obviously familiar with what SD4L means for football and whatnot. So um, just having kind of that background information, and then uh, knowing some people that know some people uh, able to get some clarification.
0: Okay, so I I guess I guess the question I guess my, my my next question for you is, you know, the way that this all kind of came out, um, you know, and I think that it's it's pretty safe to disregard the initial tweet from Audrey Dahlgren giving uh, what has happened in the past week um, with with that. So, I'll just go ahead and and throw that that one in the gutter, but uh, i I think some of the messaging has been muddied with with sd four l. I you know it the way I see it and and you know, Brett, you've known me long enough. you know i I see things in a in a very different way than than a lot of people. but I you know, I've seen sd four l try to um i i basically been watching sd4l try to start up as as this collective for for two years right um it started with when inside the locker room rebranded uh when they were on woodward and you know we kind of saw this shift there was rumors that they were gonna you know kind of transform this into a collective and by the time they got Every, the infrastructure up and running into this collective. uh MSU fired their coach and shit went sideways. So, it, am I accurate on that? Like, how long has this kind of been germinating? Like, this collective has been germinating within within kind of the the donor base of, of Michigan State.
1: Yeah, I want to say it. It, it probably goes back to sometime late fall 2021, because obviously NIL didn't become any sort of um, uh, approved or not approved, whatever you want to refer to it as uh, an idea until uh, summer of 2021, basically. So uh, that, that's when the idea started to, to formulate. And um, it obviously it would have been great if they got off the ground then, uh, but they've run into a lot of red tape from the university since then, which really shouldn't come as a surprise to anybody that Michigan state's getting in its own way um, and trying to make this process as difficult as um, it, it can be for the donors. And really it's, I mean, its it's been four or five people that have been pouring millions of dollars into this thing to, to sign players and uh, the university basically has given them no support whatsoever. And that, that's why it's, it's taken, it took two years to get this thing going. And um so I don't know if that, that kind of answers your question there. Yeah,
0: no, I, I think it does. And and Graham Couch has kind of come out and said himself that that Alan Hollard himself does, you know, is kind of skeptical of the NIL collective model. Um, so I guess that would make sense why the university has kind of been stonewalling SD4L. Um my so here's how i'm coming at this right i think it is i think that collectives are not the long term solution in college athletics um the the good leftist that i am i believe that student athletes should just be employees of the university and collectively bargain for fair wages that that is the way out of this and you know, that is probably another five to ten years away, just based on how momentum in college in, in college sports kind of moves. I, Alan Holler, I think, made a made a major statistical error or strategic error, excuse me, in in kind of stonewalling SD4L because, you know, NIL collectives are not the future of college football, but they're the present. And when you you have an active donor base who's excited coming off of the season MSU was coming off of in 2021, you know, they really could have capitalized on that. And, you know, when MSU is doesn't have an official collective and Nick Saban and Nate Oates are doing ads for their collective it kind of makes you wonder like if we're trying to be on the level that Alabama's on the level of then shouldn't we be doing this too so you know I do think that that was Haller's fault that he that he kind of dragged his feet and resisted against um SD4L especially if he's not gonna like Try to come up with a different solution, or like force the issue of classifying student athletes as employees.
1: No, and no, I completely agree there, SD. And uh, another thing is, um, right now, the problem with collectives, with in terms of Michigan State, is Alan Haller. I don't believe wants to lose his donor base, and by that I mean you have everybody giving to the Spartan Fund. They're getting their Spartan Fund points. They're parking all these uh, little perks or whatever, and if NIL comes into the picture, that's going to cut away from the the bottom line that he has to operate with. And uh, you see, like, there's a simple solution. It's to tie in the Spartan Fund points into NIL. So you still get different benefits, but then all that money's not going to the student athletes. So that's where you can start to see this. uh, I don't want to call it a power struggle, but you can see like there's a fine balance here of, okay, how are we going to support all student athletes? And then also, have people give the NIL. I, I do think it's interesting that uh, I think this is Sparta, the other um, collective or wh- whatever we want to call it. I believe that that gets Spartan points involved. So um, I think that's a little interesting.
0: Well, I, and I think that, you know, if, if Michigan state wanted to, you know, wanted to make this as part of the official NIL collective, then they should have made this as part of the official NIL collective, right? they, they anointed SD4L as the official collective of of Michigan State Athletics, right? That they, they kind of made them. And, you know, in the time they were dragging their feet, um, our coach was just was trying to fuck anything with a skirt. And it was just it got lost. And I think that was the big issue here. Um, you know, the, the way SD4L kind of handled the, the cancellation of contracts, I think, um, I think is what is what rubs me the wrong way. Do you have any insight at all about what was the process behind that and why and why they were canceled so abruptly while while players were on their way to a game?
1: Yeah, that, that's something that I, I definitely don't agree with either. I think ultimately NIL is there to support the student athletes and uh kind of what happened heading into the IO game is uh, very unfortunate and really frankly should have never happened in terms of why it happened at that moment I I I've heard different things um uh, I'm still interested to know how that Audrey report came to be where she sent out the tweet basically saying like Steve San St. Andres pulled all the funding for uh, all the NIL deals are all gone and that just was blatantly false um it, really, what I what I was told is the fact that right now they're paying. I think the the number was thirty five athletes were uh, signed to the brand. Uh, I'm not sure how many are still signed. It's it's larger than the number that's been reported. Um, but really, the thinking there was they're paying a lot of young guys and guys from the portal who just aren't playing, and who recruited all these people. It was Coach Tucker, uh, who who also was involved in their recruitment. It was Said Khalif, who's no longer here. So. Jensen Gebhardt no longer here. So you're starting to see that a lot of players were signed and committed to these coaches and recruiting personnel who are no longer on campus. And with that portal open for these 30 days and um, there there's been no mass exodus and really just been Jordan Simmons. But um, I think there was concern or a thought process of, okay, the donors currently, I think they're fatigued because they not to go on too long here, but, I mean, they've been pouring millions into this thing for two years without any support from the university. They haven't been able to get the fans to uh, get subscriptions, and that's just because they haven't been able to launch things. And um, I think they see this this window where players can enter the portal. You don't have a coach. You don't. There's so many questions. It's like, okay, we're gonna we're gonna hit pause on now. See who's here into the next season. See the vision of the next coach. Like. What what's the best way to do this? Do we want to sign everybody on the roster and give them an equal amount? Do we want to sign starters and pay them? It's I think there are just so many variables out there, but uh, the, the, short, the shorter answer to you is I don't know why or how it was announced. Um, uh, somebody did tell me there was an error with the emails that got sent to some of the players. It got sent to everybody, and that's where the confusion started. And um, I know that they had a team meeting to discuss that.
0: Okay, I I do appreciate that um, some of that clarification, you Neil. Know, obviously, you're not in a position where where you're able to to clarify, you know, some of this stuff. You're not in the operational um, department. I, my question for you is like, I've banned conversation of this from the podcast moving forward. Okay, but there is a certain candidate that the mega boosters want to be the next head coach. If that doesn't work out, whether because he's not interested in the job or Holler makes a, you know, Holler makes a different decision. Is the donor support still going to be there? Because I think that's what, I, from my perspective and, and, you know, I don't speak for you. I don't speak for, for, you know, I only speak for, for me, for Spartan Dog 97 is that, um, you know, the boosters rightfully felt portrayed by Mel Tucker. I think they're not alone in that, you know, you can count 550,000 people along with them. uh, but, but they have a unique relationship mal tucker in the athletic department that the that the regular fan just doesn't have and you know they're kind of looking at it like okay you know we we didn't get that much of a say in the last guy because you know this was the mark d'antonio athletic department want for not more with less diamonds in the rough right that whole mentality now we haven't we have an opportunity to um it together and, and really establish ourselves as, you know, one of the new money schools in the big 10 and holler, you know, for whatever reason, these contracts being canceled could read to me as retaliation for, um, for an athletic department, not, not wanting to follow along with these donors, wishes. That that's how I see it in.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a totally fair way to see it, and I think the reason that is is because SD4L really hasn't come up with any sort of clarification of why they did this. It's all been fan conjecture. It's been, like, even I'll admittedly say some of what I've heard is a game of telephone where you hear from somebody who heard it from the source and whatnot, but um, ultimately, I I don't think that Steve St. Andre, uh, who runs SD4L, is really – concerned with who the, who the coach is going to be. Um, I mean, I, I, am not even sure these donors, I I don't think that they even really watch all these games like we do. I think they're just more so just trying to help out the university and obviously want to see their investment pay off in terms of winning football games. And, um, so I don't, I don't think that this was done because of Haller potentially saying no to Urban Meyer, but, um, it, it could potentially be that, um, I think it was more so due to the game ending right before the month of October started. So you would have had to send out payments a couple of days later to start the month of October. And I think it was just kind of making a decision at the end of the month there.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, that, that maybe is a little more understandable. Uh, I guess my, I, I guess what I have to like, what I want your opinion, right. Is what is what is the path forward for SD4L? You're you're in this industry. You don't work for SD4L, but you are you know in this industry now. In your mind, like what is the path forward? Right? Like is there is there a rebrand rebrand that's necessary? Is there a strategic shift to maybe they only focus on on basketball? You know, like what what in your mind do you think SD4L needs to do to kind of reestablish themselves as both an as both a functioning NIL collective and as someone worthy of, of fan donation.
1: yeah, I think the first thing is you, you got to get back the, the trust of the fans because it was this thing that's been hyped up for, for two years now. I mean, it, there's been articles, there's, there's been interviews and merchandise chains and cigars and all this cool stuff. And uh, you even had the slingshot with the SD4L, SD4L uh, icon on it. So the the main thing is getting back the trust of fans and how you do that. I think you need to just be transparent with what happened and what your plans are moving forward. Like, Hey, are like, like you mentioned, are we going to uh, solely focus on basketball or are we going to uh, include football? Are we trying to do the non-revenue sports? And uh, I think the second thing is the fact that MSU needs to have a singular vision for NIL. I, I think you need to determine, you got to just have one collective here and whether that's this is Sparta or it's SD4L, someone's going to just got to lay the hammer down and say, this is what we're going with. And that's what fans need to go and support because uh, I mean, th- there's been too much drama at the university, which surprises no one, especially us. Um, so I, you got to get full collective buy-in from the top down. So make a decision like, okay, we're we going with sd 4 l Are we going with this as Sparta and just run from there. And um, I think that's the best way forward. But if we're, if we're going to continue to do this, um, infighting misinformation campaigns and all this stuff where we just kind of eat eat and beat ourselves it's it doesn't matter what either collect does it's it's not going to end well
0: yeah no i i'm completely with you my my thing about nil has always been this and you know i you can correct me if i'm wrong or jump in or whatever but i firmly believe that that the that the class of Steve St. Andre and Matt Ishbia, those guys should handle the big picture infrastructure of a football program, right? And 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 they largely have, right? We're talking facilities, we're talking upgrades to Spartan Stadium and Breslin and Munn. We're talking uh assistant salaries, coaches' salaries, right? We're talking like like stuff that makes a program stable long term the NIL the NIL collectives should be funded mostly by the class below the Ishpias and Saint Andres right the 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 franchise the restaurant franchise owners the lawyers the doctors the the you know the the landlords you know people like that who do have disposable income who want to have an influence within the athletic department beyond just like having a bunch of Spartan fund points. And I do think that's where NIL can be super, super impactful. Am I, am I off base there?
1: No, i I'm completely on board with that. And that's exactly my vision for how NIL was always intended to work. And obviously you still want big donors to potentially add to the pot there where, Hey, if, uh, uh, I know Ishbia I can't donate anymore because of, of the sons and whatnot, but I mean, if you have a, a multi-billion dollar donor, it's like, Hey, here's, here's $2 million to give to all student athletes. Like that's obviously going to be welcomed and helpful, but at the end of the day, you have 550,000 alumni, uh, and most of those, uh, a significant number of those, they're successful, uh, millionaires now. So getting them to donate a significant amount of that is going to be key and, Um, it it just, I mean, SD, I got to ask you this, like with NIL, did you ever receive any sort of email, call, text, mailer that, Hey, this is, this is what NIL is. If you give to this, it's going to help the student athletes and how it's different than just donating to the school.
0: Uh, Brett, I have a history degree, so (laughs) So, (laughs) I don't know what people expect out of me, but no, I'd like, that's a great point, right? Like for a lot of these guys, they're not they're not sickos like we are, right? They don't have their ears to the ground and are watching, you know, and are just like watching comp Comperoni streams and like reading, listening to Couch in the Rube and and you know, like doing all this stuff. So they need to like have this stuff to explained to them. To them, NIL is just like livy dunn doing ads on tiktok that's what nil is to a lot of people because that's what gets featured when when talked about nil
1: yep and i think that's that's another thing that kind of sc4l and the university needs needs to do better with it's how do you market to the average fan um because donors are always going to give it it doesn't matter i mean you still see donations are coming in and whatnot and they just want to be a part of something they just want to rub shoulders with the rich friends. And I mean, that that's great. But for you and I, like there's no way for us to currently go in and help with NIL and there's no way for thousands of other alumni to, okay, I have 20, I have 20 free bucks. I just, I just uh, got back or something. And um I want to give it to a player. I want to give it to a position. I want to give it to a sport. There's no way to do that. And the fact that that it's been two years and that's not set up, it's, it, it's rather frustrating.
0: Absolutely. And, and, you know, I, I don't, um, I don't think that grassroots small dollar stuff, it can be the, can be like something that can be expected to, to keep a collective afloat. To me, it would be something where, you know, you can make the small dollar donations. It's just cherries on top, right? It's, it's just like it, it's kind of like it's kind of like when you make the mandatory donation that that you have to make when you buy season tickets, right? To yep. me, that's what the small dollar donations are. Right. It's a ni- it's a nice to build up the reserves, but really like you need to be able to have guys, you need to be able to have some some big guns in, in the arsenal to, to kind of go after some of these guys. So we're not like missing out on Samson Oak. Okanola
1: and guys like that. Yeah, I I completely agree with that. It's um I yeah it just I think it's very important to just get obviously the grassroots it'll be more difficult but like you mentioned big money donors you got to get them bought in.
0: Right, absolutely. So, uh, you know, let's if if you want we can talk about Rutgers a little bit, (laughs) kind of shift the conversation to this week. Um, otherwise we'll let you go.
1: Yeah, we could talk Rutgers, but I have one more question about kind of NIL. It's what, what is expected of the fans? I think that that's another thing that needs to be kind of asked and answered by these ASCII 4L in the university. It's like, okay, we're going to put out this, this collective of sorts. I know that they're not going to call it that. What, what is expected of fans? Like what, what is our role in this? Like what, what are the donors giving? Like how much money is already in the coffer? What do you expect from fans in terms of subscriptions? Where are those subscriptions going to go? How is it going to impact things? And what is the long-term support going to be for donors? Like, okay, do, are they still going to be pumping in millions of dollars a year trying to kind of aid in what we do? Or is this ultimately going to trickle down into the fans kind of upholding this thing and donors spending money elsewhere, like you mentioned, where they can give $10 million to a building instead of $10 million to NIL? Like, what is, what is our role? I think that's that's another important thing that needs to be discussed.
0: Right and and I think it's a role that's evolving because college football is continuing to evolve, right? Like we have four new schools coming into the Big 10. Uh travel costs for for the athletic department is going to skyrocket. But we also have this massive this massive contract, you know, that is that is going to that is going to increase our, our our ability to do the things we want to do, by by a, by at least a magnitude. So I think there needs to be a legitimate um, conversation in the public forum. I would love an Alan Haller town hall where we can just where it's just hashed out, like what is expected of you know the Ishbia class of donors, what is expected of the I call them, you know, I I call them the Buddy Garrity donor, the Buddy Garrity uh, level donors, right? Like the guys who the guys who should, and depending on what school you support, have been paying players. And what is expected of of fans like you and I, right? And and that's something that I don't think any school in the NIL era has has done a good job of doing. And I think if MSU, you know, who was on the cutting edge of of NIL, at one point wants to get, wants to get that edge back. I think that's a big way you do it. People people will give money; they just want to know where it goes.
1: Exactly, and that's that's where the leadership from MSU needs to step in because uh, right now there, there's a giant void in that department. It's who when Coach Santonio came back to kind of take the reins here and be a stabilizing force. Listen, that's great. But until, like you mentioned, there's a town hall or somebody just, I don't, I'm trying not to be, I mean, crass or whatever, but until somebody just drops their nuts on the table and says, this is the way things are going to be done. This is how we're going to do it. And this is how we're going to get there. We're just going to be a rudderless ship, just sinking into the deep water with coach Tucker.
0: (laughs) That's not a place you want to go. Don't touch anything when you're down there. (laughs) (laughs) Um. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. It's yeah, it's, it's a tough situation, right? Like, I, I think, I don't think the way it was initially reported kind of helped, um, perception and, I, and, and, you know, I'm just, I'm, I want to see, I want to see the school partner with a partner with a different collective. That That's my personal opinion. Whether it's just like SD4L goes away and Steve St. Andre just goes, hey, I have this new collective, you know, like whatever. Um, Or they partner with This Is Sparta officially or some other collective that pops up. I I just want to see the school, like, put, put their weight behind an NIL collective because ultimately, like, NILs are not the future, right? But they can be a big boon to an athletic department as a whole, right? You start paying football players, football succeeds. You know, MSU is always going to take care of its, is always going to take care of its Hoopers. So you don't have to worry about basketball, but you know it starts succeeding? And, you know, Robin Fralick has, has the women's basketball team coming. They'll see benefits from, from an official MSU collective. You know, Coach Nightingale, he's going to see benefits from a from a uh from a rising nil collective. Uh the men's and women's soccer team could see benefits from an NIL collective right now. If if there was one if there was a functioning one that had enough support to say like hey, you know, here's this soccer team that's doing really fucking well. Um you know, I I just don't think I just don't think that the athletic department really thought this through and 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 that's a shame um because outside of of this outside of the NIL collective um I truly think Holler has done an amazing job.
1: Yeah he I mean he's nailed his, his coaching hires for sure. I mean even volleyball with Leah Johnson um that I mean they're, they're pack they, they sold out to Breslin for a um for a match versus Nebraska last weekend. And obviously you look at both soccer teams both ranked uh the men's team uh, doing incredibly well um, and then obviously you look at some of these other sports and th- th- things are going very well and like you said it's once these programs start winning that's when people want to get money it's it's really tough to launch this sd Farrell when the coach just got fired for jerking it on the phone and you're two and three and all this like there's it just was never gonna work I don't think and um, yeah but I, I agree with you I think that we just need to decide on one collective and one thing I, I, I do want to clear up is I know there was some talk after this all picked, after this all happened leading into the Iowa game that this is Sparta picked up a bunch of different contracts and whatnot. That, that's that's just not true. I, I don't know. I'm sure this is Sparta helped out a little bit, but they they didn't go and pick up all these contracts. That just, that didn't happen. I don't know where that, that started from, but I, I did want to clear that up as well. So it's not like th- this other collective has millions of dollars they can just pour into, recruiting or current athletes right
0: so i I do appreciate clearing that up because i think this is sparta is kind of getting um this is Sparta is kind of like you know the it's kind of like being pointed to as the as the successful older sibling you know in in this situation like why can't you be more like this is sparta they went to medical school you know what i mean (laughs) yeah (laughs) so
1: and they do great work. They, they do do great work. But, I mean, I just looking at it from kind of a third party standpoint here, it's right now both do good things. and But the fact that SD4L has the, the billion dollars backing them, that makes it more reputable, in my opinion, because, like you said, I mean, you, you need the huge coffers to really get this thing going.
0: Exactly. So, you know, I, Brett, I appreciate you um, coming coming on to talk about this stuff. You know, I, like I said, you know, you've kind of been the public face of this. And and I, I do appreciate you kind of coming on and, and talking through some of this stuff with me. Um, because, again, and this is another major failure of the athletic department, it is it's hard to understand.
1: Yeah, because nobody's come out and said anything. It's this happened. We got this kind of half ass statement. And nothing came from the athletic department. Uh, our AD's been absent. Uh, do we do, do we even need to talk about the board of trustees and kind of where our trust is with them? I mean, they've got a million other issues that are going no, on. No,
0: I I think uh, Couch said this on Couch in the Room. They are like one angering decision away from people legitimately like committing January sixth to get Whitmer to like reform how this, how these board members are appointed.
1: Yeah, that, that's a whole, and I, listen, I, I think no matter what happens in the next couple of months, whether we get uh, the coach who will not be named or not, I, I definitely think that moving forward, the board of trustees for it's like a prominent university, it, it just cannot be set up for an election. It just, it doesn't make any sense. It it's too messy. So, I mean, that, that could be a whole other podcast, but um I, I, I tend to agree that it needs a complete overhaul. It just, it's a swamp. Like I'm not trying to go full, uh, 2016, like Donald Trump here, but it's a swamp up there. It's, you have these, these people on the board that just don't act in the best interest of the university. And, uh, it just, it has to stop.
0: Right. And, and, you know, the, the best, the best example I can point to of that is like my grandma, she would vote for, she would vote straight ticket Republican for any open board, at U of M board of regency because someone had to rein in the hippies. Like that was her reason. <laughs> so, um, you know, let's, let's shift focus here, but you know, the NIL collective stuff, I think is something that's, that's going to be a big talking point here as MSU kind of, kind of nears the end of this coaching sh- search and, establishes a new identity um let's focus on the present however painful that may be uh we're going to piscataway to face Rutgers. uh good old-fashioned nooner something something you don't get much of anymore and you know i i think that this game although there are more games to go this game is going to be the difference between bull eligibility and three and nine. I agree. Because, you know, Rutgers it is much improved. Um, you know, we have a conversation coming up with with the what's chopping pod um about kind of going in more in depth. But you know, I think this is year year four, Greg Ciano. Um He's been able to keep his hands off his penis. So
2: great job by him.
0: And he's really he's really figured the defense out. Um they're they're a solid team. And if we're able to go in to Piscataway and, and come out victorious, you know, that doesn't mean we're gonna be victorious a week from from Saturday. Um, but it does mean that those games against the other fringe bowl teams we have in between these kind of these kind of slaughterhouse matchups we have those become a little more obtainable you know if you go into Piscataway and you lose which you very well could you're looking you're looking at indiana being your only remaining winnable game because it's at home
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree, and I think I, I, I'm, I'm with you. It's the fact that this has a vibe to it where if you can go in and steal a, a W here, uh, it's going to give you momentum moving into, listen, we, st- we we all understand the three daunting giants left on the schedule. I mean, the fact that we, we have to play four national championship contending teams is pretty remarkable, um, but, I mean, there's still four very winnable games on the schedule, I and mean, it, it starts this week at, at Rutgers and and you have obviously Minnesota which is a train wreck Nebraska I mean I don't even know what's going on there and then obviously Indiana which has kind of been a house of horrors but um it all starts with this like it I'm gonna give Harlan Barnett a little bit of credit here I know he keeps mentioning how we're close we're close and listen the fact is we were close to really being contending in that Maryland game and we should have won the Iowa game I mean there, there's a legit argument that we should be four and one right now. We're not, we're two and three. But if you can if you can give up performance there and just not turn the football over. Like that, that's really what it's gonna come down to. Like whoever's at quarterback, just stop throwing awful interceptions, stop throwing the ball away constantly, and just run the offense.
0: No, I I'm with you. And and that's what that's what's so frustrating, right? It's not that this is this team has the talent level of a three and nine team. It's that these coaches are coaching their way into this team being a three and nine team. And you know, you would think that with them, you know, kind of being forced to reenter the job market, that they would be a little more inclined to make decisions that would both one help them become a more uh, winnable team as that, that would in turn make them a little more employable. Um, you remember that coaching is just a boys club and, and they probably already have jobs lined up no matter what happens. And, and you know, I don't want to say that they might be checked out, but you know, some of them might, some of them probably already have a foot in the door. So that's, that's kind of what's happening. And And as much as I trust these players to be able to play well and be able to win games and maybe even games they shouldn't win. I do not trust the staff to be able to put them in a position to where they are able to, where they're able to succeed.
1: Yeah. And I don't really have a counterpoint to that just because I, I agree with you. I mean, the staff's judgment and whether it be playing different players, running different plays and whatever it may be, it's the judgment's been off from, really day one I mean they've I mean they've made some good choices but mostly poor in terms of w- what they do out there and they, they finally have a defense that's starting to play semi-well and then you have I, I, listen I'll I, I'm sure he's a nice kid but I've never understood how they went with Noah came a quarterback like even the, the Central Michigan and Richmond game like it was all it was a mirage I mean those are two of the worst teams in in college football and know Kim did what any quarterback probably would have done is complete passes and uh, whatnot. But I mean, hopefully they make a change this week. If they don't, I'm, I just won't, I won't be tuning in. I just, I, I can't watch it anymore. I physically, I physically can't.
0: I, and, and, you know, like that's, that, that's at the heart of the issue, right? Is that these guys said all summer that, the you know that we're it's an open quarterback competition, open quarterback competition. You know this team isn't this team isn't five and O with Peyton Thorn, but you know you you drive out a two year starter, whatever that means, right? And you you roll with the guy because he is supposed to be a game manager. You know what you get. He's not going to turn the ball over. I would say he's probably one of three. Um, in, in that criteria, we know what we're going to get, and it is going to be happy feet and interceptions. So yep. that—that's just—that's the—that's the sad part of it. And and you know, again, this is not about Noah Kim the person. This is about Noah Kim the player. And there's a reason why he looked so good against Central Michigan and Richmond, and has not looked as good against Power Five competition. And again, I said this last week, no, no kid, especially a kid who has worked so hard to, to get a scholarship to play college football is going to like Ryan Gosling and remember the Titans himself and go, I'm not good enough. I need to be on the bench. Right. They're not going to. So it's up to the staff and, and she hadn't really hammered this point. Like there's got to be an adult in the room. Someone's got to go, okay, this kid, we made a mistake. We got to be able, we got, we got to do it. And it looked like they were going to do it. And then they doubled down and it, and it cost them, it cost them a winnable game and it's probably going to cost them bowl.
1: Yeah, it's impossible. And listen, like all this stuff to talk about the quarterback, like you mentioned, it's, it's not about no Kim personally. It's the fact that this staff is so incompetent that they ran him out there for three straight games and he what is it, it it's been one touchdown in three games and like six or seven interceptions it, it's and I mean they have shirts that say ball security's job security and they, they've had those for years and even going back to last year I mean Peyton Thorne couldn't take care of the ball they didn't get Noah Kim and Keaton Hauser reps and listen I, I can make the argument that if you would have given those two guys reps last year you would have had a better idea of which guy is going to be able to come into a game comp- compete against power five competition and look like they played football before, and now you're seeing it with Noah Cam. where, I mean, he came in last year and played against uh, twos and threes for Ohio State and all these other schools. And listen, he throws the ball deep. Someone catches it. It's a touchdown. But when you have to go against their starters and you're getting drilled in the face, it's a completely different ballgame. And he's just not built to do that. And it's not nothing against him. It's But it, another thing that, that's on the staff, like, how do you not figure this out last year? You had ample opportunity. We're getting blown out in every game. Throw in a different quarterback, see what happens. Like it just—it's lazy, it's ridiculous. It's almost like that Frank Ocean song where um, his mom's like ranting about smoking weed, like it's gonna make you lazy, stupid. Con- it, not concerned. All this stuff, and that's how I feel about the offensive staff.
0: Yeah, and, and I—I've th- said this to you, and and this is the part that drives me the craziest. Honestly, more than like the turnovers and and you know the happy feet and the and the, you know, whatever, is that when when they put Keaton in there against Maryland, everyone looked like they were playing harder. Like, it's very hard to see effort, especially in a sport like football, but you could just, you could see it. You could see the effort being put forth by by everyone on the field, from the old linemen to the receivers you know, to the running backs, like they were going all out. And I don't, under, I don't know how you can call that a coincidence when they come back in and they go back to looking like how they've looked.
1: I listen, I, I agree. And that's another thing that was irritating coming out of summer camp. It's the fact that uh, all reports were that Kate Hauser was performing better than Noah Kim. And then this decision gets made where, okay, we're going to go with Noah Kim. And I, I called, I mean, I referred to the decision as a, a scared little boy decision where you're just going to go with something you think you might know rather than the unknown based off of just the guys older. And it just, it, it's been a theme with this staff since day one. It's even, it, listen, we, we can even look at the offensive line. They're doing the exact same thing. It's, you have guys out there that are 27 years old and they, they can't play football. Like it, it's just not good. But, Hey, they've been here they know the system and we're just going to keep throwing them out there. It's, <laughs> I'm just so over it. And, um, but no, to your point, like I, you see the effort change with Kate Hauser in the game. And I think that's the fact that he has the respect of his teammates. He, he's probably, I mean, I've, I, I'm not in the room or anything, but you hear talk of how he's a great leader. He's respected by the coaches, everybody in that room. So, uh, listen, I, I think it's a no-brainer to make a choice. Um, obviously, I'm, I've been pretty biased towards the kid, but um, when when you're a four-star out of St. John Bosco and you can throw the ball seventy yards and um, <laughs> and you're six-three, two twenty-five, like I want to see you play football.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely, and and it's just like it, I really hope we're at we're at the end of this because I just my my brain, my heart my relationship cannot take another game of Noah Kim. No,
1: nope, I, I physically, can't, I like, and I'll admit this. Um, Even like when I, when he saw you started for the Maryland, my, like my heart dropped. I'm like this poor kid, like he's about to get destroyed again. And then I, we have to watch this. It's just not good for anybody. It's really not.
0: No, it, it's not good for him. It's not good for the, it's not good for the staff because you know, they're, they're ostensibly trying to get, employment somewhere else, it's not good for, for Kate and Hauser and Sam Levitt, who just feel like that there's no mobility for them. You know, they, you know, the, the, the word out of camp was Hauser's been, Hauser's been crushing it in the live game scenarios. And Kim has, Kim has a slight edge in practice. And the fact that they went with a guy who was getting crushed in the situations that most resemble live games it just goes to show that the best thing Mel Tucker ever did was make that phone call. Like one of the best things, the the list of things that Mel Tucker has done in a positive way for this university is, number one, listening to Will Pegler and getting Kenneth Walker out of the portal, and it's two, make that late night phone call to Bernie Tracy. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and listen, I think we. I, I'm a I'm a, a like glasses full type person, and the fact that this whole thing happened at the beginning of the year, and it didn't happen in like let's say March, it, it's truly just like the one thing that's going to get us to the end of the season. It's okay. Can we can we see Caden Hauser play quarterback, and we get a new staff in here as soon as the season ends?
0: Right. Absolutely. Uh, you know I just to close on this, um, it, I, Brett, I really appreciate you, man. Um, I appreciate you coming on, chopping it up with me, answering some, some, some tough questions, um, that I had about, about this, about this ST4L thing. Um, you know, I appreciate your insight and, you know, it's, it's great to have, it's great. It's, it's been great to have you back on the pod. Um, I appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to, to come chop it up with that with
1: with me no i'm glad you invited me on and always glad to do this and listen i i, I think the sd 4 l and especially the nil thing it's going to be a topic of conversation for the next few months here especially like what, what's it going to mean for the next coach recruiting players and all that and i think it's important that us fans hold uh everything to a certain standard and i, I think that it starts with listen if, if we hold our collectives do a standard like this is what we expect this is what you'll get from us in return i think that that's that's going to be the healthiest way to go about this and uh, i think fans asking for uh, transparency clarification and kind of a path forward is very important so i appreciate the work that you do and all the fans do kind of raising these questions and listen we'll we'll, we'll try to get as many answers as we can and get this thing rolling in the right direction i i don't think it's some end of the road thing with SD4L or collectives at Michigan State, but uh, there is a change that's needed. And I think dialogue like this is definitely important. And uh, you know, personally, I'm, I'm going to see what I can do to get some answers for Spartan Nation and do that in a way that um, comes off as unbiased as possible. And like I mentioned, I'm not associated with SD4L in any manner. I mean, they sent me a free hoodie and probably just cause I use, I've used the hashtag about 10,000 times. Um, <laughs> so and the hoodie is phenomenal. Um, but yeah, I, I, I've never taken a dime from anybody. Um, I'm not, I'm not in group. Sh- I've seen people say, Oh, you're, you're friends with the donors and all Like, do you really think that billionaires are, um, in a group chat with some Twitter troll? Like, I mean, we got to use a little bit of common sense here. Uh, I mean, they're, I don't even think they're on Twitter. So, um, I think it's there's just a lot going on and I can't really blame fans for being upset. I was upset myself when it first happened and I think we just gotta let the facts play out here and uh, just like I said, we, we gotta hold everything to a standard, whether it's coaching coaching search uh, or, or administrators, our leadership um, if if we lower our standards as fans, that that's what's gonna lead to three and nine seasons. So uh, it, it does fall upon us.
0: Absolutely. Um, it is on, you know, Brett, I appreciate you coming on. Um, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. I truly believe that. And I think, you know, that's the path forward. And, you know, I look forward to um I look forward to standing next to you um when we storm Scandolaris when they name Pat and Arduzi head coach. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Listen, I, I'll send you. I actually made a. I haven't put it on the timeline yet, but I did. Ma- I had AI make an edit of Sparty, the mascot, storming the U.S. Capitol on January sixth. So I'll send that to you, and you can use that at uh, you, at your own convenience. But listen, oh, if, yeah. if it's something like that, yeah, I'll be. I'll be right next. I'll be right next to you. Like, I yeah. we we can't have that. We we gotta stop stop the steal. Like. Where's our program? Who's taking our program?
0: (laughs) Where my where my country gone? Uh, (laughs) uh, So we're gonna throw it now. Uh, We sat down with Alec of What's Chopping to discuss Rutgers in greater detail, uh, pick his brain a little bit, and you know we have some things to discuss with Rutgers specifically as it regards Michigan State's program. Brett, I appreciate you coming on, brother. Uh, You're welcome anytime. Until next week. Go Green. Go white. All right. Big Ten play is back. That means another Big Banter crossover. Uh, I'm Spartan Dog 97 of the Bacon Warrior podcast. We cover MSU football and basketball. And we have on Alec Kraut Hamel to discuss Rutgers. Alec. Welcome, Alec. Thank you for uh, joining me.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. should be a good game this weekend.
0: Yeah, so I want to do this off the top. I want to do this first and foremost. There's been a lot of tension between the MSU and Rutgers fan bases over a certain verbiage that our former head coach um, liked to use. So I would just like to take this time off the top as a peace offering to you, to the Rutgers fan base. shop chopping keep chopping whatever that's all yours you can take it all back you might want to wash it first but <laughs> you can have it it's all yours
2: well trust me i i know that greg channel loves to just pound it into all of our heads so i think i think it's gotten plenty of wash ever since uh, ever since mel tucker decided to try and use it
0: okay no but i'm talking like literally like wash it you don't know where you don't know where it's been so <laughs> you know, I you know do that thing that uh, industrial workers wives do. You know, strip it with like oh yeah, the hammer. Yeah, do that. Do that stuff. um uh Rutgers is uh Rutgers is four and two. Yeah, Rutgers is four and two. But more importantly, they're six no against the spread. And the old verbiage: good teams win. Great teams cover. Uh, what has kind of been the driving force behind behind this behind this Rutgers team this year uh, in the fourth year of the second uh, Shiano era?
2: Yeah, it's been a lot of just controlling the ball. Another uh, verbiage that Shiano loves is "the ball is the program," which means you know keep it in our hands as much as possible and take it away from them as much as possible. So they've really flipped the uh, flipped the script in terms of time of possession. It's been a big emphasis especially thanks to Kirk Shiraka, the new offensive coordinator, uh, or I guess new old offensive coordinator, because he was here for a year. But, yeah, that's been a big part of it. Uh, the defense is t- still growing to become one of the better units, not just in the Big Ten, but in the whole country. Uh, according to The Athletic, they're 10th in the country in stop rate, which is, I think, how they qualify, you know, preventing points and uh, and causing fourth downs. So, um, yeah, it's that. And you know, the offense has just taken a step forward in terms of play calling and execution under Shiraka. so. A lot of that has uh, – now, granted, they haven't played the best teams, but a lot of that has led to this start where, you know, they didn't play great teams last year, but they looked really shaky all pretty much all season, but now they're really starting to settle in and play well, even against teams that, you know, Michigan and Wisconsin, the two losses, they were in the game for most of it.
0: Right. No, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, as someone who uh, watched that, that Michigan game, you know, you could see that, that Rutgers kind of competed against Michigan in a way that – I don't really think they have since since they beat Michigan in 2014. So um, that was definitely an impressive outing. So you know, going into this game, right? Um, you have um, you have an opportunity here to kind of get Bull eligible um, here, and then you know the the season kind of ramps up dramatically in terms of difficulty. Um, are you thinking in terms of like just win these two games and then, you know, just just take the lumps the rest of the season, or are you kind of looking, looking, I guess, at a at a bit of a higher ceiling for Rutgers
2: this year? Me personally, I've kind of been on the train of just get the six wins, and I have predicted that they were going to get six wins since pretty much like the off season, and I still think that um, because I mean, like you said, the November schedule, it's ugly, it gets real ugly. You got Ohio State at home and then you're at Iowa, and then you're at Penn State, and then you're at home against Maryland to close it out. That's not easy. So these two games are going to be huge. Iowa, I don't want to say they could be a win because they're still tremendous defensively, but, I mean, their offense does not look any better, and they lost Cade McNamara. So that could potentially be a toss-up depending on how Deacon Hill does. But, yeah, I've basically been on the train of, let's get the six wins, and I think they will get the six wins. So after that, it's like, it would be nice to see them. I want to see them at least be competitive for a little bit in, in every single remaining game, but as long as they get the six wins, I'll be happy with where they've gone.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think,
2: um,
0: I I guess this is a question I, I have a little more interest in. Generally, this isn't specific to this season, but you know, because if Michigan state, you know, if Michigan state fucks up here, um, you know, no offense, but we could definitely be, um, kind of in the, in the, in the Rutgers tier of the new big 10. So I guess like, where do you like, how do you, how do you do it? <laughs> I guess is, is the question. How have you done it? You know, how have you been able to kind of come back week after week, year after year? Um, with, with, you know, I'm a lot, I listen, I'm a, I'm a Detroit Lions fan and, and I, even I don't get it. So I guess I guess that's an anthropological question. I'm more I'm more interested in generally.
2: Uh it's not. It was not easy. It was not easy taking the lumps that we did after first getting into the Big Ten Conference. It was not easy. You know, they started out really strong. Uh, the first couple of seasons were pretty good. You know, you get to eight wins your first season in the Big Ten. That's that's a success. 2015 took a bit of a step back, but I'm sure as you know, you know, Rutgers almost took down Michigan State in that game. Yep. They looked pretty good. But then towards the end of that season, things kind of fell apart. Uh, they kind of did an overhaul of pretty much every, uh, all the big, big name sports, at least. You know, Eddie Jordan got fired in March of that year. And then in December, they fired uh, Julie Herman and Kyle Flood, the AD and football coach. So things were supposed to get a bit of a fresh start. And for the most part, it worked. I mean, obviously, Steve Peichel has been a home run hire. Uh, Pat, Pat, Pat Hobbs has done great work as the athletic director. But the big mistake was Chris Ash. And that was apparent almost immediately because. Uh, It was just, it was a disaster. It wasn't easy. I'll tell you that. It was not easy, but getting Greg Shiano back, he's just preached his vision and that, you know, he's done it before he can do it again the entire time. So it's like, kind of have no choice but to believe in him because he has that experience doing it at Rutgers. But the Ash years, it was not good. It It was not easy to stay engaged. But now that Greg Shiano's back, you know, he's selling us on the vision. And I think he's, at the very least right now, I think he's bringing it. Uh, to the table so now it's just a matter of where can he go from here because it seems like you know they're close to just being like a regular you know average big 10 team and that's that's kind of a lot of what Rutgers fans want instead of being you know the doormat and the stock of the entire country just be in contention for things like you know go go win seven or eight games every year maybe pull a shocking upset you know they just beat Purdue under Jeff Brom what they were you know seven eight games a year you win and then and pull a shocker against Ohio State every so often. That's kind of like the target for where Rutgers can be in the Big Ten, and I think they're making momentum towards that.
0: Gotcha. And and you know, I I guess like you know the 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 Big East football conference, you know, I think is along with the Pac-12, I think was just one of the most unfortunate victims of of realignment. And and you know, like I guess like in this Big Ten era, who does Rutgers? Kind of perceive as a rival, right? Because you don't have like the you don't have the rival the rivalries in the Big East didn't carry over, obviously. So like, who are you? Who who is like Rutgers' chief rival?
2: So. Honestly, it, it kind of depends who you ask. If you ask those guys up in Chicago in the conference offices, they'll say Maryland. They're really trying to make it a thing. We only have one protected rival in in the new scheduling, and it's Maryland. So they're really trying to make it a thing because you know it's the closest school to Rutgers and join the conference at the same time. So they're trying to really be like, you know, it's the new guys against each other, that kind of thing. So if you ask the Big Ten office, it would be Maryland. If you ask students, it's Penn State, although I don't necessarily agree um, because Penn State, A, beats us all the time. B, doesn't even think about us in football. So that's kind of out the window. It's really been tough. It feels like, I don't know, at least in football, it feels like Michigan State's kind of been a rivalry, but mostly that just came from the fact that Mel Tucker decided to you know, use the same phrase. Shiano had started using in 2005, um, but I not in all sports. It's kind of Indiana because Indiana was, Indiana fans were one of the loudest proponents of kicking Rutgers out of the conference. And then that came that, you know, three, four year stretch where they could not be Rutgers in any sports that kind of sparked a rivalry on its own. So it's kind of just depending on who you ask.
0: Interesting. I mean, you know, that's something I never I really think of either because, you know, um, for better or worse, you know my rivalries have kind of been set in stone at, at at both levels, right? It's always fuck the Packers, fuck the Bears, fuck Michigan. You know, fuck Ohio State, but that's more of a begrudging, like you know, if you want to get to Indy, you have to go through them kind of thing. But you know, I never really had to. I've never really been one of my teams. Has never been really out in the wilderness of of kind of of kind of MSU fans that that Rutgers fans are so that's an interesting perspective so um i want to ask about gavin Wimsatt, your quarterback um you know he is a guy who um one has a great head of hair under the helmet i mean just the you know the the his look will always play for me i'll, I'll just say that off the top and two you know i i kind of i was able to watch a little bit of the wisconsin game not a ton um but it seems like he does not do very well um, when he's is sitting in the pocket. He seems to thrive in chaos. Is that an accurate assessment?
2: I would say it's a little bit accurate, I guess. It, it definitely feels like he's better when things are starting to break down. He's able to get himself into space and, you know, try to make a play with his arm or his legs. Um, I think the biggest reason why he kind of struggles to stay in the pocket is because flat out his accuracy is just, it's it's probably his biggest weakness. You know, he struggles to just place the ball well, especially, you know, over the middle when he needs to have touch. Those are the things he struggles the most in. So it's probably most apparent when he's just sitting in the pocket and throwing without, you know, pressure in his face. Um, so Kirk Surack has definitely tried to make his life easier by doing a lot of, you know, underneath routes, a lot of over the not not exactly over the middle, but you know, get guys outside, just give him easy throws to make and see if he can hit them. Wisconsin, it was definitely, it felt like it was a little bit windy out there. I wasn't at the game, but it seemed like it was a little bit windy out there, and he was just missing targets. But it definitely seems like he's at his best when it's a option-slash-RPO-heavy scheme where he can make plays and get into space. That seems like where he you know looks the best. It feels like, honestly, he, he has a great arm regardless, but it feels like his throw on the run power is one of the better ones that I've seen. And granted, for Rutgers quarterbacks, there's not a very high bar to clear, but it seems like he has a lot of talent now.
0: Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I would, I would tend to agree there. It, it, he definitely, once he's able to kind of get on a naked boot, I think is when he's the most dangerous. When he's able to kind of roll out, be able to kind of see the field, and and then he can kind of make a decision. Um, you know, I, I guess, I guess, kind of, you know, you're the floor is yours to ask anything about Michigan State that you want. So. Uh, go ahead. I, I have a lot of things to say, obviously, <laughs> um, if you follow bacon while you're on Twitter during game days, but you know, it, you know, anything you want to know about MSU shoot, I'll be happy to, I'll be happy to provide
2: insight. Uh, first, I guess I, the elephant in the room, I guess what's on the, on the fallout of everything that's gone on the past, I guess, month and a half or so, what's the general vibe around the program? Like right now?
0: Um, they could not be worse. <laughs> um, listen, I it's really it's really frustrating because you know of all fucking people, Tom Mars, who I don't know if people outside of these Michigan Michigan State fan bases know who Tom Mars is, but he he's an attorney in Michigan. Um he basically represented the players in the he represented the Michigan players involved in the tunnel in the tunnel fight. Um, he has a lot of thoughts about Michigan State, um, not all of them good, but the blind squirrel found a nut, and he brought up a good point. Uh, the shame is right. In a the, the closest you can compare this scandal to is Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss, right? I think that's the closest analog you can make. This is worse than what Hugh Freeze did. I will, I'll say that um, just optically and both like morally, it, it's worse. Um, but, you know, the administration went to Hugh Freeze. I'm assuming they did the same. I'm assuming Alan Holler went to Mel Tucker and said, look, you can resign or we have enough to fire you with cause." And resigning saved Hugh Freeze's career. He was able to rehab his image at Liberty and now he's back in a power five job. It, it's pretty clear that Mel Tucker is intent on never coaching again, and just based on the approach he's taking and how, and the way he's choosing to fight this, this firing, and, and it's it's causing a lot of it's causing a lot of drama around the program, and, and it's really unfortunate because the kids don't deserve that.
2: Yeah, exactly. That that's that's in my view, that's the biggest losers of this whole thing are you know the players themselves because i mean they didn't ask for this to happen to them they didn't they didn't want this to happen at all so it yeah it really does i mean i really do feel for them so they've moved on from Tucker now they have Harlan Bennett as the interim coach how do you think he's done so far since he's taken over
0: um if i had to grade him i'd probably give him a d and and, and here's why you buck they were never going to beat Washington, even if the, even if the whole thing didn't come out and Mel Tucker was still head coach and there was stability in the program, that Washington game was going to go the way the Washington game. went. They're a buzzsaw, you know, I'm the voter for the, for the, for the big banter ballot. I've had Washington at number one in the country for most of the season. I think that, I think if they beat, Oregon I think a lot of people will, will kind of see the vision with me okay of, so
2: I, I'm not the only one that has them in the top three that's good to know
0: yeah no I think they're one of they I, you know I, I I've seen a lot of people compare them to 2019 LSU um I think their defense is a little weaker than 2019 LSU's team I think that might I think that might end up biting them here you know if it's not this week it's going to be it's going to be it down the road but no that that offense is unbelievable. Um, but you know, it, they've just, they made per- bad personnel decisions to start the season and they've doubled down on the doubled and tripled down on those personnel decisions. And that's doing more harm than good at this point. And, you know, they don't really care. They're not going to be here next year anyway. So there's really no incentive to like, to like break a kid's heart and do what's best for the short and long-term of a program you're not going to be you're not going to be employed by why do they care so you know ultimately like Harlan was the right guy for the job he deeply cares about Michigan State um you know if if his tenure at Florida State had gone differently he probably would have been had D'Antonio probably would have held on for a couple more years and it would have handed off to Harlan um at least that's what
2: D'Antonio wanted um, but yeah,
0: the doubling down on the on the personnel decisions that were wrong for the jump have not helped.
2: So you mentioned some of those personnel decisions. So it seems like nobody seems, well, people know, but nobody is publicly knowing who's going to go at quarterback, the, probably the most important one. It seems like the consensus is everyone kind of feels like it's going to be uh, Katen, uh, what's uh, Katen Kate Hauser? Kate yeah. Katen Hauser, that's his name. Yeah. Sorry. It escaped me for a second. So it seems like, People kind of know it's going to be Keaton Hauser, but Bennett and his staff don't really want to reveal it just for the sake of competitive advantage, which I have plenty of experience with. Gray Shannon always wants to get a competitive advantage, never tells anyone anything. So is that what the consensus kind of is, that Noah Kim is done as the starter and Hauser's going to take over?
0: So people in the know, that seems to be the the consensus right now is that, is that they're going to move forward with Keaton Hauser. And again, I don't trust this staff as far as I can throw them. Um, I've talked about this, you know, in our, in our discussion, when it was just, when it was just, you know, the, the bacon wire guys talking about it. I, I, I am, opt- I am cautiously optimistic that they finally made, made the good decision. And, you know, unfortunately, like, it's not all Noah Kim's fault that the season's going the way it's going. Um, they've been put in bad positions by their coaches and ultimately like, the kids have to answer for that, which is a shame, but it's just been very clear since they started playing power five competition that Noah Kim is not, is not a viable option as as a quarterback. You know, it's, he did well against central Michigan and against Richmond, but you know, that's probably the level he should be at if we're keeping it between you. and And it's just, it's just a shame that, you know, they, they've kept him out there and kind of wrecked his confidence and are now publicly benching him um, in the most excruciating way possible, in my opinion. And, you know, that's that's the that's the shame of it, and the staff, again, failing these kids.
2: And I guess if we talk more about, you know, broad and general, so Michigan State obviously has to hire a coach in the offseason, whether it's Bennett, whether it's someone else. Who would you want, in the dream scenario, Michigan State to hire for full time?
0: So I don't know if I've been paying attention to Michigan State Twitter, Alex, but there's there's been rumblings, there's been rumblings, um, and you know, unfortunately, I have I have banned discussion of this from Bacon Wire, uh, but you know, b- because this is going on, what's chopping as well, I I guess I can kind of give myself an exemption here. Um, there's been some rumblings about Urban Meyer, and you know, honestly, like. I've kind of outlined the positives and negatives of an Urban Meyer of an Urban Meyer tenure at Michigan State, uh, but he he's definitely on my list. I mean, I don't I can't see how he wouldn't be if on anyone's list, honestly. Um, but outside of him, um, I really like Mike Elko at Duke. Um, I think I I'm interested to see what he does now that Riley Leonard is kind of going to be down for an extended period of time. Uh, to see how he adapts, and that's going to tell a lot about what kind of coach he is and how he's able to kind of – I was kind of able to answer to different situations. Um, I also really love Jonathan Smith at Oregon State. It's going to be tough because, you know, it's his alma mater, so it, it, you really don't know, like, how he's going to respond to that. But, you know, Oregon State is one of the unfortunate victims of – um one of the more unfortunate victims of realignment. So, if they're going to be kind of competing in the Mountain West, you know, it's really going to—I think—that's really going to test his loyalty, and we can kind of see him move on and, and take over another state school, which would be cool. Um, but those are my top three right now.
2: There, there is one name that I've seen pop up at some points. That it seems like Michigan State fans are united against a friend of mine from the Rutgers side. Put it out as a possibility, and he got ratioed to oblivion by Michigan State fans. Uh, how, on a scale of never to also never, uh, how out are you on Michigan State potentially hiring Pat Narduzzi from Pitt?
0: I would, I would storm the football building. <laughs> I would, I would. There are there are a lot of things that that I might be pushed to do. If Michigan State hired Pat Narduzzi, that I cannot speak aloud, especially on a recording medium. Listen, people are floating Pat Narduzzi because one, that one they were they were working the Michigan State beat when he was here as defensive coordinator, and they like him and they want him to get the Michigan State job because they want access. And two, they're lazy; they don't pay attention. And they just go, oh, he was at Michigan State. He can come home, right? Here's the thing with Pat Narduzzi, okay? There was an opening three years ago at this at this school, and he was not even interviewed. That's that's the facts. He was not even considered a viable candidate in in 2020, and. That was when he kind of earned himself a reputation as a giant slayer, right? Like he beat those, he he beat those 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 Clemson teams with Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence, and and he kind of put Pitt kind of back on the map a little bit. And even then, he wasn't considered for the job. Now he's coming off back to back. He he had a disappointing season last year. This season is a fucking disaster. He has a comment. He put up a comment box. I don't know if you saw this. He put oh, up a comment box in the front of the building uh, for for players to put in their negative thoughts. So, I really Narduzzi, I think would would set the program back fifteen years.
2: Wow. All right. Well, I I, that, that, I was very curious about this, so it's it's very good that I got a gauge on that. So, yeah. I mean, Urban Meyer would be really. I I think someone. I think the report of him being interested might have gotten like disputed. I don't know how accurate that was. But I mean, yeah, the, the pros and cons are pretty clear. The pros are he's a damn good football coach. He he's won everywhere he's went. The cons are he is an extreme flight risk, and it would be a PR nuclear bomb if they hired him.
0: Steve, here's the thing: I'm not really, and I said this last week on the episode when we had when we got it all out of our system. <laughs> See. I'm not really interested in in doing things because it's gonna grant Michigan State positive or negative PR for especially on the local beat. Um, you know, a lot of people in the Big Ten don't really understand what this is like because they don't have the other they don't have another in state program to kinda to kind of look at. Um, but the the Michigan's the the perception of Michigan State, I think is not going to change if we hire a choir boy and it's, it's really not going to get any worse if we hire urban Meyer. So, you know, I just want to see a decision made because this person is the right man for the job. and can get MSU, you know, to where it wants to be and not that like he's going to be a good upstanding man because that was part of the perception that, 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 uh, that got Mel Tucker hired and look how that turned out. So you know at least you know what you're getting with urban and at least you know depending on who you ask shelly is also down to clowns so that, that's that's my thing with with urban you know my biggest thing is that my biggest um concerns with urban are that his heart sucks he has one of the worst you know he basically has he basically has a ticking time bomb in his chest and this is going to be one of his more one of his most extensive rebuilds, probably his most extensive rebuild since Utah. You know, it's not something he, he's had to do in a while. Um, I think the NIL stuff is overblown because he was doing NIL before NIL was legal, so you know, it's fine. But, uh, yeah, that you know, Urban, it is what it is, you know. But there's definitely other candidates out there that are currently coaches that that wouldn't. You know, invoke um, fire from the national media.
2: Yeah, so that's kind of all I got in terms of a national, a broader scale for Michigan State. So I guess we can talk a little bit more about this weekend's game. Uh, it's going to be a big one, homecoming. In case you did not know, uh, our entire twenty twenty four commit class is showing up. Actually, mine is Dylan Gray, who couldn't come because of uh, scheduling conflict, I believe. But Ace Bailey is going to be on campus. Bryce Dorch and Lathan Somerville, as well as uh, one guy that you may be familiar with from the home state of Michigan, Trey McKinney, a five-star in 2025, as well as of course Dylan Harper, the well-known five-star in 2024. So it's a big weekend for Rutgers. They kind of have to win this game for basketball and football purposes.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I did not know that
2: that that they were that
0: this was going to be a big recruiting weekend for them. That's that's interesting. Um, yeah, no. I, look, for Michigan State, is just as important of a win because. You know, we went. I went over it previously, but this game can be the difference between bowl eligibility and three and nine for for MSU. And you know, there's really not going to be any kind of middle here. So, I you know, their backs are against the wall. They it took them a long time, but they finally made the right decision. And I'm interested to see how they move forward.
2: Yeah. So with that coming up on Saturday, I guess we can. Make some of our predictions, what we think will happen, what we think we'll see. So I guess first question is, what do you think is going to be the biggest key to a Michigan State win that I can give mine for Rutgers?
0: Um, To me, the biggest key for a Michigan State win is you got to keep you got to keep Gavard Wimsatt in front of you. Right. You got to be able you got to be able to make him make the play in structure. Right. And. You know, if if you allow him to kind of get out, scramble, um, kind of get on his feet, cause the play to break down, um, that's just not going to be a winning formula for you. Um, but, you know, if you let him sit in the pocket, read the field, you know, you might be able to kind of read him, you know, you might be able to make a break on a route because you're look because he's kind of staring someone down or he might just, he might just overthink it and over or under throw because he's like, I'm used to kind of being out out and about and kind of scrambling. So I think that's the important thing is is you know no pressure I think on Gavin Wimzad is a little better than than pressure, right? Keeping him from escaping the pocket is gonna be the biggest key for Michigan State to in this game. I
2: think I think for Rutgers it's I guess I'll go one on offense, one on defense because I'm kind of torn which one is bigger. For offense it's gonna be getting the run game back on track. They struggled again against uh, Wisconsin, really could not get it going. Kyle Unga only got eight carries. Gavin Winslet led the team in rushing again. I believe he had like 40-something yards. So establishing the run game again with Kyle Unga and maybe Sam Brown. Honestly, I don't know what to expect from Sam Brown because it feels like he's still dealing with that, either the same foot injury or maybe a different one that he dealt with last year. And it's kind of day by day of how it goes with him. That's what it seems like to me, at least. So getting that run game going is going to be big. They have the guys to do it. I mean, we I mean, granted, it was Wagner, an FCS opponent, a bad FCS opponent. But I mean, we saw everyone on the field, you know, Kalman, um, guy got carries, Sam Brown got carries, Deshaun Benjamin, the true freshman, got carries, Aaron Young, the senior got carries. So it's gonna be a collective effort for all four of them to you know get this run game going. And on defense, I think it's going to be, you know, get pressure on the quarterback and force mistakes, obviously, win the turnover battle. It's pretty self-explanatory, you know, if you win the turnover battle, get short fields for your offense, you win the game. And like I said, Greg Schiano loves preaching the ball is the program. So, I think those are my two biggest keys for a Rutgers win in my in my opinion at least.
0: Yeah, no, I and you know, I would tend to agree with you, you know, depending on who starts on Saturday. Um like I said, I don't trust this staff. So, you could very well get Noah Kim out there on Saturday and he's been turnover prone against power 5 competition. So, Um, definitely, definitely the turnover battle is going to be important. Um, I I guess my final, my final thought here, um, is, I don't know what my final thought is actually, I just, I just, I just blanked. Um, you know, I, I guess, um, my final question for you, Alec, is is, is this. Um, with the Big Ten, with these new teams coming into the Big Ten, do you expect a shift in expectations one way or the other for Rutgers?
2: Uh, mm, it's tough because the schedule definitely gets easier. The 2024 schedule got a huge boost from the, the changing of it. Uh, they went from having to play the entire Big Ten East and then swap Indiana with UCLA so thankfully, that's out. They don't play Michigan State, Ohio State, or Penn State in 2024. It's tough to it's tough to gauge where the expectations will be because they're bringing in four really good programs. Like we're seeing this year, you know, USC, Oregon, and Washington are all top 10 teams, and UCLA is kind of creeping on the edge of that, you know, top 25 status. So it's tough to say. I think expectations will rise as just a, being a, you know, getting to that seven or eight wins every year as like the goal. Because they don't have a guaranteed three losses on their schedule every year. Now, they'll still play really good teams, but it's not like, you know, years past where it's set in stone. All right, you got to go against Ohio State. You got to go against Michigan. You got to go against Penn State. All right, that's three losses already on the schedule. Now we got nine games to work with that could go either way. So it's it's tough to gauge where the expectations will be, but I think it's going to be continue to grow as a program and you know, just be a good, you know, above a, an average to good Big Ten team year in, year out. I think that's the expectation in general.
0: No, absolutely, and you know I think um, MSU also lucked out with their twenty twenty four schedule. Um, they do have to go to Eugene, but you know you look otherwise. I think I think avoiding the other three newcomers and get, getting the lion's share of the old Big Ten West, um, I think is the best situation that you can that you can put a new coach in. I think moving forward. So
2: um, I'm definitely
0: um, I'm I'm looking. F- You know, I'm looking forward um, to Saturday out of out of a morbid curiosity, (laughs) Um, uh, and I'm looking forward to the future. Alec, thank you for sitting down with me and discussing. Man, it's been great. Um, You know, we can. You want to plug each other real quick?
2: Yeah, sure. And I although I guess before we go, we should probably ask each other for score predictions for Saturday first.
0: Yeah, ooh, I'm not in the prediction game. Um, I don't know. I see so much is up in the air i if hauser starts see here's here's what's going to happen and and no offense to you but msu is going to win by hauser's going to start msu is going to win by 10 the naivete the fan base is going to be at an all time high going into michigan and then we're just going to get curb stopped and then the game's going to get called because some walk on like shivs Blake Corm, or something. It's just it's gonna get really stupid. So like if Hauser starts, I'll go I'll go MSU by ten.
2: All right. I say I guess if we're going on to the expectation that Hauser starts, I think I'll go with twenty four to twenty Rutgers. I think Rutgers holds the ball long enough that they can just, you know, it's gonna be close, but they can just edge him out. So I think that's what I, that's that's my prediction for Saturday on what what's gonna happen.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Both of those things are equally likely. (laughs) It's just because who knows. Uh, Alec, where can the people find you?
2: Uh, So for the What's Chopping podcast, you can find us on all podcasting platforms at What's Chopping at the What's Chopping podcast. That includes Spotify, uh, Apple Music, Amazon, YouTube, all that fun stuff. Uh, And then for me personally, uh, my Twitter is at alexcr12. So if you want to follow me for a bunch of Rutgers stuff there. Definitely, definitely. I, I I post a lot of Rutgers stuff, maybe too much, but you know. Uh yeah. But yeah, I mean that's that's where you can find me. Where can uh, where can we all find you?
0: Yeah, so wire again, wherever you find podcasts. Um we uh we are on Twitter at Baconwire. I live tweet every football and basketball game. Um our my co-host Lucas will jump in sometimes as well. Um you can definitely tell who's tweeting because there is a definite style. Um, you can find me at Spartan Dog 97 I also tweet about MSU. I tweet about the Lions. Oh, I have my final thought. Um, when you came on, your Google Meet logo was the Seahawks helmet. What's what's the deal with that?
2: Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I'm from New Jersey, not from Seattle. I've been there once. Great, great time. But so my uncle used to live in Seattle, uh, and my dad would always bring me that. It's like cool stuff when I was a little kid. And that's kind of how it just, you know, when you're like eight, when you're like 10 years old, when you're like nine or 10 years old, it's like not a lot goes through your head when you're choosing sports teams. It's just like, oh, my parents like this team or, oh, this team's close to me or, you know, wow, this team looks cool. So that's kind of how my origin story started. And people are going to call me a bandwagon, but it kind of coincided when they started winning. Like, I think my first year of actually like, liking the team was Pete Carroll's first year. So it helps. It's it's definitely helps. But yeah, that's, that's kind of my start as a Seahawks fan.
0: Yeah, um, you know, there, there's been an interesting kind of rivalry emerging between the Seahawks and and the Lions here, as both are kind of the Seahawks reascending the ranks of the NFC and the Lions ascending. Um, there's been some there's been some good games between them the last couple of years here. Um, but before I got distracted, I'm on Twitter at SpartanDog97. Tweet about the Lions and and MSU and you know Bacon Wire wherever you can find podcasts. Uh, Thanks for sitting down with me, Alec. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a great time. And uh, yeah, let's hope for a good game on Saturday.
0: Absolutely.